Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Gary Zukav is a spiritual icon. He's the author of four consecutive New York Times bestsellers and beginning in 1998, appeared more than 30 times on The Oprah Winfrey Show. His book, The Seat of the Soul, which is one of my all-time favorite books, fundamentally changed my view on relationships when I first read it over 20 years ago. It is an unbelievable honor to have him on the show today to discuss his latest must-read book titled Universal Human. Gary, welcome. Thank you, Jason. It is such an honor to have you here. The Seat of the Soul had a profound impact on me uh, years and years ago when you first wrote that, one of my all-time favorites, and so excited to see your latest and greatest must-read, Universal Human. So welcome. Thank you. So there, there are so many great quotes you have, or passages, if you will, from the book. I'm going to start with one early on, which struck me, where you say, quote, the world is macro, you are the micro. If we want to change the world, we need to change ourselves. end quote. So amen, you're preaching in the choir. I believe in empowerment, I believe in accountability. How do we start that process? And how do we prioritize that process if we really want to make change? It begins with intention. Everything begins with intention. And then it requires developing awareness, self-awareness, because the bare bones of self-transformation are the same no matter how you approach it or how you clothe it. In order to change something in yourself, you've got to become aware of what it is you want to change. Without that, you can't change. But then when you become aware of it, you have to decide to change it. And those two things together change your life. And there's nothing really else that does. Now, sometimes transformation comes through grace, comes through a disease, comes through trauma. They're all blessings, different ways. Of, these are different ways of saying blessings. But if you're like me, <laughs> you, you're, you're not an instant learner. Transformation, authentic empowerment is incremental. And each increment is a choice. And each choice is a choice of intention. And by the way, I'd, I'd like to share with our listeners that I really appreciate being here with you, Jason, and being here with you, all of the my fellow students in the Earth School who are listening to us. But I don't expect you to believe anything that I'm saying just because I say it. And in fact, I suggest that you not do that with anyone, that you not ever believe anything that anyone says just because they have a television show or they've written a book or they have a, a platform. Try it on f for yourself. If you resonate with anything that I say, experiment with it and see what it produces in your life. And if it produces something that is constructive, experiment some more. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. So what I'm offering is a window through which I've come to see life. And I hope that it's as helpful to you as it has been to me. So it's from that perspective and with that authority that I am speaking from my experience that I say that our evolution now requires um, different things than it did just one generation ago. We used to be a species that was limited to the five senses and evolved by surviving and survived by manipulating and controlling. We survived because our understanding and experience of power was the ability to manipulate and control. Now everything has changed. We are becoming a multi-sensory species. Our perceptual capability has expanded, is expanded beyond the limitations of the five senses. And this changes everything. Changes our understanding and our experiences of ourselves, the world, the universe, 
and everything you can think of, community, relationship, power. In fact, speaking of power, the new understanding and experience of power is alignment of your personality with your soul, with harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. These are the things you read about in the seat of the soul. And they are as helpful now as they were then. And I believe they will be helpful now for another two or three generations. After that, I don't think so much. When my granddaughter's children read The Seat of the Soul, I think they're going to say, so what? <laughs> I thought granddad was a, supposed to be a visionary, but there's nothing visionary about this. This is just describing life. But until that time, these ideas can be very helpful. And I believe they will always be very helpful, but more evident to people as time passes. And what's evident is that we can, that the, first of all, the pursuit of external power, the ability to manipulate and control, the power that used to be our good medicine is now toxic. It's counterproductive to our evolution. It produces only violence and destruction. And the new power requires the steps that we're talking about now. The first is always intention. But the first step in actually doing it is to develop awareness of your emotions. When we were five, sensory emotions were not important at all, really. I used to look at them as something akin to uh, appendicitis. You know, they hurt. They let, me know. they let me know when they're there, when they hurt. But other than that, they're a nuisance. And that's how five-sensory humanity looked at emotions as obstacles to pursuing external power. But now we see them as fundamental to spiritual development. You can't create authentic power without experience, intimate experience of your emotions. And that requires the heart. So by experience of your emotions, I'm talking about somatically in terms of your body, in terms of being able to put your attention inside your body into specific locations in your body, like your throat, uh, your chest area, your solar plexus, and search for physical sensations. Physical sensations, not I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm up, I'm down, I'm bubbly, I'm manic, I'm depressed. No, those are poetic labels or functional labels at best. By physical sensations, I'm talking about experiences that stab, burn, churn, sting, ache, throb. Because when you are experiencing fear in you and you look inside and find the physical sensations that come with that, they are as painful as accidentally hitting your thumb with a hammer when you're aiming for the nail. Heartache is real, and it hurts. Now, by the way, when you put your attention in those same areas, and there's seven of them in total, in the East they're called chakras, but that's a Sanskrit term. So I use English, and we all do. We call them energy processing centers. When you put your attention in those energy processing centers, and, in, and you find physical sensations that feel good, really feel good, They're the kind of sensations you want more of, then you know that love is active in you. This is emotional awareness. Everything else is emotional ignorance to emotional illiteracy, but this is emotional literacy. This is awareness. Because once you can do this, Jason, then you know what you're experiencing. You're challenging it. You're nose to nose with it. And when you look at the thoughts that you're thinking, when fear is present in you, not only are the physical sensations painful, but the thoughts are critical and judgmental of others or yourself. Like, he's so stupid. I'm so stupid. That's fear. 
fear comes to you in all of the ex- your experiences of anger, for example, rage, vengefulness, righteousness, jealousy, inferiority and needing to please, superiority and feeling entitled. Fear comes to you with when you're impatient. You are impatient when fear comes to you. That's the more accurate way of saying it, or is activated in you. You can recognize fear with every obsessive thought you have. I've got to be a millionaire by the time I'm 26 or 36. I've got to be a name. I've got to be recognized. I've got to have her. I've got to everything that's obsessive or compulsive, like workaholism or perfectionism or addictive, like a craving that it's a part of you that's out of control, your addictions. Addiction to drugs, sex, alcohol, gambling, smoking, drinking, shopping, pornography. The list is long. All of these are experiences of fear. So in short, we can call them, these aspects of your personality, frightened parts of your personality. Your personality is not a monolithic thing. It's complex. It's like a mandala. And it has frightened parts and loving parts. Five sensory individuals think and a lot of multi-sensory individuals think that experiences of the frightened parts are your spiritual obstacles but they're not they're your avenues to spiritual growth you can look at your emotions as messages from your soul and these messages tell you when fear is active in you and when love is active in you. And that's very important information to know because when you act with fear, you create painful consequences for yourself. And when you act with love, you create constructive and blissful consequences for yourself. So that's the first part of creating authentic power, emotional awareness. So I've spoken for quite a while. I've <laughs> questions for me. So, so I think you touched on almost every question I was going to ask you. So there's a lot to unpack there. You've touched on choosing love over fear, authentic power, aligning our personality with our soul. So I, I'm going to come back to this idea of emotional awareness. How do we... I think everyone listening is saying to themselves, I love every word Gary is saying. I'm on board. But how do we build our emotional awareness in the day-to-day? How do we choose love over fear in the day-to-day? I love hearing you talk about it. I'm going to go home after this interview. I'm going to think about it. But then the real world sets in and sometimes difficult to implement in the day-to-day. So, so how, do, how do we strengthen those muscles, if you will? Because they're muscles you have to strengthen, right? That's right. You can't just turn it on tomorrow. No, but you turn, if you turn it on today, it's easier to turn it on tomorrow and the next day and the next. Everything after the word but is where the work begins. My friend, Ram Das. Uh, once said, I intend my life to be a statement of wisdom and compassion. And where it's not, there lies my work. You nailed it, Ram Das. R.D. put his finger on it. To actually do this in your life is where the spiritual rubber meets the spiritual road. Emotional awareness tells you exactly when that traction is needed. Because you're angry, because you're jealous, because you're judging someone, because you're righteous, because you're upset, because you're going to set something straight. In other words, 
because you're in pain. And in order to relieve yourself of the pain, you're going to change the world. That's what the pursuit of external power is. Look at your life, this temporary span of time between your birthday and your death day. In a learning environment, the earth school, multisensory perception is not something you need to develop. It's being given to us, and it's touching hundreds of millions of people now. It's a gift. All you have to do is unwrap it and use it, although we will develop it. But creating authentic power, the potential, the new potential of multisensory perception, requires work. You can't stumble into, fall into, step upon, just encounter, or be blessed with authentic power. You've got to create it. And you do that choice by choice, and you create it with each choice of intention. And in the Earth School, there's only two. Bedrock, fundamental, can't get any more basic intentions, love and fear. The Earth School is a domain of time, space, matter, and duality. And the basic duality in the Earth School is love and fear. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. So when you're experiencing fear, you cannot experience love. Our evolution now requires spiritual development, and spiritual development is creating authentic power. The shorthand of that is creating a life of love. Authentic power is the ability to distinguish in yourself, to distinguish between love and fear, and choose love all the time, no matter what's happening in you, like righteousness, rage, vengefulness, jealousy, or what's happening outside of you, like a 9-11 event. So this is where your question comes in. Well, how do I make that happen? First, apply your emotional awareness. Don't walk through life like I did for decades. Anger and addiction to sex were some of the frightened parts that were the most strong in my personality. I knew I was angry, of course. It was part of my identity. I would tell people, yeah, I'm angry. I've always been angry. I'm always going to be angry. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I didn't care. But Jason, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was pushing people away. I was creating distance. And with that distance came loneliness. And with that loneliness came more anger. People wouldn't open up to me. They wouldn't accept those people who were just like me. They wouldn't really confide in me, and then not about personal things. Because as you become multisensory, you become aware of non-physical dynamics that are at work in your life all the time. But now you can use your new multisensory perception to see them, like the law of attraction. It's not wanting a Ferrari and thinking about it all day. It's recognizing that you are drawing to yourself all the time individuals with energy like your own. And in those days when I would meet with my group in coffee shops in North Beach in San Francisco, and we'd discuss physics and philosophy and other people, usually in a derogatory way, looking down on their theories and on their actions. And, and we, f we were royalty in that coffee shop, but only to ourselves. There were other people there that were virtually invisible to me. They were sipping coffee and reading the newspaper and having conversations and thinking about friends and people they loved, but I didn't see them. I only saw the people, saw the people like me who were intellectual, arrogant, insecure to the max. Now, when I say to the max, that's not hyperbole. I was so insecure. I so needed to be admired. And in those days, I couldn't, I wasn't able to say it, but to be loved. That I was so frightened, I couldn't, I wasn't aware of what frightened me most. The street name for this is Macho. 
<laughs> and I was. So you mentioned the law of attraction, and it's not about attracting a Ferrari. I do think people do want to attract the right relationships, the right people, the right circumstances, the right work, etc., in their life, and, and are drawn to this idea of the law of attraction. And you also talk about the universal law of cause and effect. So in that sense, okay, let's not go out and attract the Ferrari or for our crowd, maybe the Tesla, um, you know, how can we, how do you think about the law to, to attract the right circumstances, people, et cetera, use it, use it in a more productive or more, more spiritually fulfilling way. Change yourself. When I was look at yourself, Jason, I don't know too much about your history because I couldn't listen to that entire interview with uh, Lewis, but you, were you always this interested in people and helping people? That, that's a big question, but to some degree, yes, but okay. not, I didn't dedicate my life to it. In my twenties, I dedicated my life to basketball and partying uh, while I was in college uh, well, well, yeah. and then twenties having fun and making money and partying. And, and then I've been on, I've been on this journey for Started. The, let's just say I started this journey, my entrepreneurial journey, and looking for more meaning, purpose, and significance in my life. I'd say shortly after, I'd say sometime in two thousand two. I think that was when I read the Seat of the Soul. Yes, yes. Well, you were so much more aware than I when I was. Well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I do because you said. I ask you if you were always interested in people and in helping people, and you said to some degree. For me, zero degree. Zero. My life changed when I was invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. And it was a fun group, believe it or not, about 10 or 12 physicists put together by Elizabeth Rauscher. I just loved her. She was sort of a pudgy. <laughs> we were both young then, and and she called her group the Fundamental Physics Group, F-Y-S-I-C-S. -S. And uh, I went there because my roommate was a physicist. And I heard them discussing conceptually, not in terms of mathematics, this question. Are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? And that was the same question that we were discussing with. I was discussing with my group in North Beach in the coffee shop, except these were world-renowned physicists, the senior theoretical physicist at LBL, who became a wonderful mentor to me, was there. The chair of the department down the hill in Berkeley was there, and they were asking that question. And I went home, and I could not stop. I felt like I had three cup cappuccinos, and the sparks were coming off my fingers. And... I couldn't explain why I was so stimulated. So I started to read. I asked if I could come back. They said I could. I decided I wanted to write a book to give what I was learning to non-physicists, to liberal arts majors like me. And I did. And it was so exciting. It was a journey. It was a journey. And six months into that, which means about six chapters later, I realized that all of the outlines that I threw away chapter by chapter when I followed the energy instead of the outline fit together. And I thought to myself, how did that happen? How could it have happened? And that's when I realized I wasn't alone. That's when I realized it's not possible to be alone. That it's not possible to create alone because there's no such thing as aloneness. Every creation is a co-creation. You feel it in your business when it's right, when you know you're on the right path, when it fills you, when you go home and you're still thinking about it, not because it's going to increase the bottom line, because the bottom line has changed. The bottom line is this feeling of meaning and purpose and joy, and this is your pathway to it. Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's what happened to me. And, I, and that book... The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics, was my first gift to life. And that's what
what brings me back to the question that you ask. It was before that I had never given a gift to life or thought about it or cared about it. I never even knew such a thing was possible. Everything I did was for me. And my life in San Francisco that led up to the part of this, I mean, at that time, before I started writing this book, was all motorcycles, women, drugs, more women, more drugs, all for me. But it wasn't until the process of doing it that I realized the Dancing Wooly Masters was my first gift to life. I knew it. No strings attached. You don't have to admire me. That was another story. Afterwards, I got a big head. But that was not in my intention for doing it. And that was the beginning of big changes that came incrementally. So now we're back to the law of attraction. You changed to a certain extent. You were more aware than I was in your youth up to your 20s and beyond into your maybe 30s or entrepreneurial days. I wasn't. But the person that you were then would not have been interested in the person I was then. The parting part, yes, except there was a difference. There was a difference. For me, partying meant an extension of exploitation, using mostly women, entirely women. In fact, my addiction to sex uh, lasted until much later, until my 30s or 40s. And it, it was interesting. It was not the kind of addiction that would lead anybody to write about me and me too. No, the women I was attracted to were attracted equally to me. And for the same reason, they wanted to use me. I used to think that I was admirable because I had so many women that I'd been with sexually. And none of them meant anything to me. That was part of the, my self-admiration until I realized that I didn't mean anything more to them than they meant to me. So I'm going to segue to relationships. One of my favorite passages from The Seed of the Soul, huge impact, my view of relationships and, and caused me to really pause about what I was doing in my own life in terms of relationships. I'm, I'm going to read to you. I'm sure you, you know this one by heart. Spiritual partners bond with an understanding that they are together because it is appropriate for their souls to grow together. They recognize that their growth may take them to the end of their days in this incarnation and beyond, or may take them to six months. They, can, they cannot say they will be together forever. The duration of their partnership is determined by how long it is appropriate for their evolution to be together. All of the vows that a human being can take cannot prevent the spiritual path from exploding through and breaking those vows if the spirit must move on. It is appropriate for spiritual partners to remain together as long as they grow together. Wow. How do you feel about that 20 plus years later? Well, it's not a matter of how I feel. That's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel pretty good. You still stand by those words. They stand by me, Jason. Just, uh, <laughs> none, of the, none of the things I'm saying to you are mine. The, they, they come from the universe. And it's my joy and my privilege and my fulfillment and my meaning and purpose and vitality and creativity to share them. Creating authentic power is developing the ability to move through the earth school with an empowered heart, without attachment to the outcome. Uh, I moved a little ways down that road. I hadn't moved at all down that road until... I began to understand these things, and that's why I'm sharing them. As you become multisensory, you look at yourself as more than a mind and a body. You begin to suspect that the world is more than random. It's meaningful. Eventually, you'll see it's symbolic. It teaches you not about the world, 
but about you. You look at relationships differently, and that's spiritual partnership. Eventually, as you become more aware of your emotions, as you become aware, more aware of the intentions that you're choosing and make them love, cultivating love and challenging the frightened parts of your personality, you are drawn to others because you are drawn to relationships of more substance and depth. And your interactions form the basis of your spiritual growth. Whether you're in a spiritual partnership or whether you're not, whether your, your interactions are exploitative or contributive, whether they're cruel or loving. But as you create authentic power, you begin to change, not the world, but yourself. You begin to change the experiences that you're having as you move through the earth school. And when I was, well, I just wanted to say, so this is very clear for me on my side of this. When I was a Green Beret officer, I would not have drawn you. But I have now. And I'm so happy about it. <laughs> and I don't judge the people that I would have drawn then and did draw then. I'm not better than they because I'm in this other place. But my perception is not as limited as my perception was then. And my capabilities are not as limited. And my love is visible to me now which means it's visible to others. You cannot love others without loving yourself. And that doesn't mean you do it all the time. I don't. I have to remind myself when I'm giving, when I'm having a conversation like this, not to put myself, to evaluate myself in terms of my low watermarks. Because if I did, I would think to myself, you can't speak like this. You're a hypocrite. You get angry, you get jealous, you get in power struggles with Linda. But now I look at them as learning opportunities. And I evaluate myself by my high water marks. And I don't re really give advice, but this is one piece of counsel I would suggest you consider looking at. Look at your high water marks, which means the loving parts of your personality the times when you gave and there was no attachment, the times when you received and there was only gratitude, not for what somebody did for you, but for what somebody is and was in your life. So you've brought up Earth School a few times. And so how do we know if we're on the right path, if we're aligning our personality with our soul, as you would say in the book, because I'm sure someone's listening and they're starting to question, am I, am I in the right relationship? Am I in the right job? Do I live in the right city? How do I, it, how does one know if they're aligned, so to speak? Those are such good questions. Use meaning as your compass. As you move in the direction that your soul wants you to move, meaning comes into your life. And as you move in the opposite direction, your life drains of meaning and everything in between. You are moving and have been moving in the direction that your soul wants you to move. Everything that I've seen about Mind Body Green and you make that clear. If it weren't meaningful to you, you would do something else. It would serve that same impulse. The other questions you ask, is this the right job? Is this the right relationship? I, I would suggest that you consult intuition. Intuition is the voice of the non-physical world. It's what makes multisensory, it's at the heart of multisensory perception. And as we become multisensory, we have access to compassion and wisdom that are beyond what we can give to one another. And these come from, can come from non-physical teachers, with a capital T. So before you speak or you act, ask yourself, and you're not sure of your intention, ask yourself, what is my intention? And listen. You may not get an answer immediately, but the answer will come at the appropriate time. 
But imagine that as soon as you ask, the answer is pouring in. So if you're thinking of changing jobs, then you say to yourself, why do I want to change jobs? What's my intention? And then follow it down as far as you can go. You might, your first answer might be, I want to make more money. Ask yourself why. It might be, well, I want to get a bigger house. Why? Because I want people to admire me. Why? And you keep going down and down and down. And if you find out that what you're doing is for you, if it benefits you, that's an intention of fear. And if you find that it gives you joy and meaning, fulfillment, and you know that other people are involved in a good way, then you know the intention is love. But I'm not saying that one path is better than another. When you make a choice, it's as though you're standing in front of doorways, lots of doorways. And when you make a choice of intention, you walk through one of those doorways and all the rest close. That's the choice that brings energy into matter. That's the choice that creates karma. That's the choice that creates your experiences. Now, most of the choices that people make are unconscious. And that means they're choices of fear. And the same dynamic happens when you make a choice, you create consequences. But after you make the choice, where are you then? You're faced with more doorways. And you will choose one of them. You must. The optimal choice is always the choice to grow spiritually, to create authentic power. But there is learning in every choice. All roads lead to home. Some are more direct and joyful, and others are longer and more difficult. But you cannot make a wrong choice. You cannot make a mistake. You are living and part of a universe of compassion and wisdom. And the Earth School is a part of that universe. And you are a part of that universe. And everything that you experience in the Earth School serves your spiritual development. So in, the, in our current Earth School, we are very polarized. We live in a world of extremes. What's driving this? And how do we fix the world we currently live in from a spiritual perspective? From any perspective, there's only one answer. Change yourself. Now, you ask me why. In Universal Human, as you know, uh, it, it, since, since you've read it, there are discussions about our disintegrating social structures and why they're disintegrating and why they can't be fixed. And the answer is they can't be fixed because they're not broken. They're obsolete. They're all built on, for, and by external power. And they're failing. All of them are in the process of being replaced by new social structures of the soul that are built on the energy and the values and the intentions of the soul. So now we're talking about one of them. You mentioned our political situation. Why is it so polarized? And it's not just polarized ideologically. People are really committed emotionally. They believe what they're committed to. And the rift is deep. But the rift has always been deep. Both sides are doing exactly the same thing. They're striving for external power. And they're determined to get it. And our political system that used to be the model the ultimate achievement, constitutional representative democracy or parliamentary representative democracy can do nothing to stop this. Why? So we'll narrow the conversation for a moment to the social structure of governance, but it's all taking place and all our conversations are taking place in the larger context of the birth of a new consciousness that is happening now and affecting everything human. Our current social st structure of governance, like every social structure, is built on external power. 
it is designed to harness conflicting pursuits of external power for the common good. But now, there is no common good to the pursuit of external power. There is no good of any kind to the pursuit of external power. There is no good of any kind to external power, manipulation and control. And so, our social structure of governance in this country, in the West, is failing, and it will continue to fail. When I lived in Bolinas, California, which is a beautiful spot on the ocean, on a cliff on the ocean north of San Francisco, I saw once a beautiful house saw it from the sidewalk, and I thought, I'm going to fix that one. That's an old Victorian. It's in decay. It's right on the edge of the cliff. The view is magnificent. I don't know why somebody hadn't fixed it up, but I'm going to. And I walked down this, the walk to the cliff below. I looked up, and I gasped. There was nothing underneath that house. Its, its infrastructure was extending, was cantilevered over space, 40 feet above a rocky beach. It was a slow-motion drama. The beach was cordoned off with yellowing yellow tape and traffic cones. And every day, the the understructure of that house imperceptibly became more exposed. Its demise was unstoppable. There's no way to rebuild that house where it was, and there's no way to repair it once it falls to the rocks. The only thing we could do, anybody could do, was prepare for the collapse and go about building a better house, more appropriate to its new occupants on solid ground. All of our social structures are in the same position. They have no foundation. The foundation upon which all of them were built is external power. And it's now toxic. So if it all starts with ourselves, mm-hmm. what, what are the non-negotiables, if you will, for that spiritual growth, for fulfilling our purpose? I go back to the day in and day out. How can we, for someone listening, they say, you're right, Gary, whether it's the relationship I'm in, whether it's the social structures, government, the the polarized world we live in, I want to make change, I'm sold, I, it starts with me. What does that look like? What it, are the non-negotiables? It looks like you doing it. Let's talk about <laughs> non-negotiables. We're not talking about non-negotiables for someone else. We're not negotiating. Real harmony has nothing to do with negotiation. It's not creating con circumstances of minimal conflict. When we talk about non-negotiables, Jason, I'm talking about non-negotiables for myself. When your non-negotiables for yourself are harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life, you're on the spiritual path. But there's no way to get on the spiritual path by being inspired by me, by being inspired by Jason, by being inspired. It takes work. Specifically, it takes commitment, courage, compassion, and conscious communication and actions. These are the authentic power guidelines, and you can download them on seatofthesoul.com. They're free. Each of those categories has guidelines in them. But the non-negotiable for me is anger, jealousy, resentment, inferiority, superiority. For me, they flip back and forth. Usually, for frightened parts of my personality, they flip from superiority, which is the default, to inferiority when I meet someone who's got more external power. The frightened parts of our personalities are amazing, painful, and destructive, and counterproductive to everything we want. And the only way to change them is to make that change non-negotiable. When you encounter a frightened part of your personality, for me, it's like drawing a line in the sand. I love sand because 
I love beaches. We love Hawaii. We love islands and Aboriginal people on islands. Everybody on islands. Everybody everywhere, now that I'm thinking about it. But the analogy is to be walking and find an angry thought entering your head. And you look at that. You're angry at somebody. That somebody said something or they did something you didn't want them to do or they betrayed you. Or, and I feel it in terms of emotional awareness as we've discussed. A burning, corrosive pain in the upper left-hand part of my chest. Uh, a stabbing feeling in my upper right Shoulder, fifth chakra area, nauseated, burning feeling in my solar plexus. And I know that I'm in a frightened part of my personality. And that is when I say to that frightened part, I am not going to be controlled by you this time. It's not an enemy. You're not going to war with the frightened parts of your personality. You're becoming aware of them. You're challenging them. You are drawing upon your volition your free will, and you are directing it with all of the force that you can to not acting on that impulse. And maybe you can't stop the feeling in that moment. You can never determine what you're going to feel in the next moment, but you can decide what you're going to do about it. That is creating authentic power. When you experience a frightened part of your personality, and while you're feeling its magnetic attraction, and it's magnetic, and it's powerful demands, and it's demanding because it's righteous. And you decide to reach for the healthiest part of your personality you can access, or even remember in that moment and act from that. You change everything. And when you do that again and again, you begin to change Creating authentic power is a lifelong heartfulness meditation. And it's not necessarily sequential in this order. As you create authentic power, you unravel yourself, so to speak, and you reassemble. Some of the things that we're using, like knowledge of reincarnation, like uh, karma, like the law of attraction, these are known. And we're known to five sensory humans. What is new is now the entire human species is experiencing a transformation to its consciousness. At the same time, within a few generations. So you're asking me, why is it now that we are so divided? When have we not been divided? Weren't the Jews divided from the Romans? Weren't the Jews divided from the Pharisees? Didn't Christ step into that? and suggest something radically different. Love your neighbor, and didn't he model it? Didn't he model it? I'm not Christian, but I was born in a Christian country. And so I've been exposed a lot to Christianity, every religious organization pursues external power, but at its core is a kernel of universal truth. And in the case of Christianity, that's love. That's love. At the core of every religious organization is a universal truth. But the incrustation around it is confusing, even to religious professionals, because they're passionate about the truth. So I'm not sure exactly where this question, where this answer is meandering from. But I want to say that you were asking, why is the division so deep now? It's always been deep. In Babylonia, in Samaria, in Nazi Germany, in humans everywhere, there has been the pursuit of external power. There has been the deep pain inside us of powerlessness. And the masking of that by pursuing external power while we were five century. And the turning inward and changing the origin of those painful situations inside ourselves, which is authentic power. 
So what can we do about Republicans and Democrats? Love everybody all the time. That's going to be especially hard to do if you're a Republican and you're with a Democrat. And it's going to be especially hard to do in the reverse. But that's beside the point. That's completely beside the point. The point is, how are you going to spend your precious brief time on the earth now that you're multisensory? How are you going to use your multisensory perception? How are you going to, are you going to develop your emotional awareness to cultivate your anger, your rage, your righteousness? Or are you going to use it to challenge those and cultivate your patience, your caring, your gratitude, your contentment, your awe of the universe? Because when you do that, you begin to see something that old people have seen. The Lakota say the joy of one is the joy of all, and the pain of one is the pain of all. That's the same way as in their culture, expressing what we see, what everyone sees who is multisensory and develops that, who uses it, is that the love and fear in you is the same love and fear that's in the world. It's not like the love and fear that's in the world. It's the same. So if you're going to change the love and fear in the world, change it where you can. Change it in you and contribute. That is as radical a transformation is what the Christ offered to his five-sensory culture. That is the only thing that we can now offer that is different from the world that we're offering it to. If we offer, if we try to change a world that's built on and by and for and with external power, we're only adding more to that world. So you're an optimist. The universe is not optimistic or pessimistic. The universe doesn't see in terms of right or wrong or good or bad. It's, it, it sees in terms of, oh, you might say, limitation and opportunity. It sees in terms of cause and effect. What you cause has an effect, and you are the cause every time you choose an intention, and your only intentions are love and fear. And as I say, please don't believe this because it sounds good and don't push it away because it doesn't sound good to you. Experiment with it because you'll find that it's not a new age philosophy or theory that you're experimenting with. It's your life. And you can verify or disprove any of these things. But as you experiment with them, you'll find that they're not disprovable. So if you want to change the world, here, let me tell you about the law of attraction again because we touched it for a minute. I heard a story once of a, a young couple that went to Vermont in foliage season and they stopped to ask an old man on his porch who was rocking in his chair, what are the people like here? Because it was so beautiful they were thinking of moving there. And the old man said, what are the people like where you come from? And they said, well, they're not too interested in others and... They're pretty hard to get along with. And the old man shook his head and said, yes, people here are much like that also. And two weeks later, another couple came by and asked the old man the same question. What are the people here like? And the old man asked the same question to, him, to them. What are people like where you come from? And they said, they're kind. They're good friends. They care about people. And the old man said, oh, people here are much like that too. He understood the law of attraction. Do you really understand it? Do you really have the openness to begin to see that the self-transformations, the self-help things that you're doing for yourself are world-changing things. If they come from fear and you don't challenge them, that's not improving yourself, that's not self-help, but that's what you add to the world. And you don't get blamed for doing it, you don't get judged, you don't go to hell. You just don't change. And your world doesn't change. Five sensory humans and the intellect that accompanies it cannot 
comprehend, or even entertain the reality that inner transformation is the same as outer transformation. It's disdainful, ridiculous to the intellect. It labels it in judgment as solipsistic, narcissistic. But experiment with it. That intellect was designed to support five sensory humans in their pursuits of external power. It analyzes, compares, deduces, and suggests ways that are helpful in the pursuit of external power. But it cannot comprehend, communicate, or grasp multisensory experiences. That requires the higher-order logic and understandings of the heart. So I have one last question. I don't think you're going to like it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. What do you think your superpower is? Without question, you have an incredible spiritual worldview and ability to see the forest through through the trees spiritually. I think a lot of people are listening and say, oh man, I can never think like that. Or I I can only, but I want to think like that. I want to think like Gary. Without getting into the whole rabbit hole, the ego and five sensory of multi-sensory, I I am curious, is it, do you think it's your, because of the suffering you experienced in Vietnam? Do you think it's your ability, your, your compassion, empathy, your optimism, there's no question you, you, you have a superpower in the same way we talked about basketball before you know you came on like LeBron James is built differently than a lot of other basketball players or Shaq wherever your favorite basketball but they're, they're, so I am curious have you ever thought about that what what what's what makes you and, and you so special There's only one superpower. There's only one, and that's love. What makes me so special is my beginning (laughs) to become aware of that. (laughs) And what makes me so special is that, did I ever tell you on this call, no, what humbleness is? It's in the book, but let's go there. Yeah, It's recognizing that everyone's path in the earth school is painful and difficult and complex as your own. In other words, I love sharing this because if I can do what I've done in my life, if I can move from an angry, narcissistic person addicted to sex, terribly crushed every time a relationship of mine stopped because I couldn't see at the time why a woman wouldn't want to be in a relationship with a narcissistic addict to someone who cares about life, from a Green Beret officer who went to Vietnam wanting to kill, to who I am now. If I can do that, you can do it. This is not an exaggeration. If I can do it, you can do it. Like you said in one of your interviews, coaches look for height because you can't teach height. There is nothing that you can't teach yourself when it comes to your inner transformation. Don't say you can't teach compassion. In a sense, that's true. You can't say to yourself, I'm going to become compassionate. I'm going to go to every New Age course I can find that's got compassion in the title, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to create compassion because you don't have to go to the courses. When you set that intention to create compassion, the universe will respond. And it will bring into your awareness every part of your personality that stops you from the experience of compassion. And as long as you blame those and judge those and judge yourself, you go nowhere. But when you start to apply your courage and your commitment to the creation of the tools, the simple tools of emotional awareness and responsible choice, then you begin to develop your superpower. And your superpower is like mine, is like Gandhi's, it's like Martin Luther King Jr.'s. It's like the grandmother or the parent 
that loved you without strings attached, and that's uncommon, by the way. We talk about mother's love, but without being aware aware of what's underneath all of that, there is a love of life that a mother has who's aware at all. Anyway, the point is, I'm not special. I don't think about what makes me so special. Sometimes I think about how could I have lived the life that I'm living from a a small boy in Kansas who somehow got a scholarship to Harvard because at that time Harvard was transiting from an Eastern finishing school to a national university and they needed me from Kansas to put on their list of students because I didn't go to Groton. I didn't go to Exeter. I didn't come from Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. How could that have happened? How could I have dedicated my life when I was at Harvard to waiting till I could get out and be a Green Beret officer? How could I have gone to Vietnam and had the blessing, the undeniable miracle of not killing anyone when that's what I was looking for? How could I have come back unharmed and much less alive? How could I have been invited to that meeting of physicists that inspired me with my first touch of passion about quantum physics of all things, something I thought was sterile, completely intellectual. And in writing that, give my first gift to life. Yes, I think about all those things now and then. I think about them with awe, not how could little me get to do all this? No. I take no responsibility for my life in terms of what I chose when I incarnated. That was a completely incorrect statement. I was trying to make a point. Incarnation is voluntary. But look at yourself as what you are. Look at yourself as what you are and don't make excuses for why you're not or why you are anything. And go from where you are to where you want to go. If it's to make more money, do that, but look at your intention. If it's to get more sex, do that, but look at your intention. Eventually, looking at your intention will show you things about yourself when they come from fear that you don't want to live with anymore. And then you change. It still takes work, but that's when the change really starts. You are special. You are special. Now, If you're listening to this through a frightened part of your personality, you're wasting your time because the frightened part of your personality is never going to hear that, much less believe it. But that doesn't affect the reality of it. You are special. An experience in the life school, an experience of physicalness, is rare and precious. You didn't stumble onto that. Use it. Use this experience. Give what you can. Be aware of when you're giving with fear, which is actually taking. There's no giving with fear. Other than that, you give others an experience of interacting with a frightened part of another personality, having reactions themselves that they can challenge and then change. So thank you for, I I feel, your question in trying to bring out what I thought is special in me. Yes, I can say I love concepts. I love to clothe energy in in concepts and words. I'm not an athlete. I never have been, but I've had a small taste of your previous world because I love the backcountry and I love skiing and I lived on Mount Shasta for 13 years. And there was something about telemark skiing and how my body felt on new snow. And I look back up and I see the perfect S-curves and the waiting, and the unwaiting, and the shift, and the balance. And there's nothing I love more than telemarking from the lift in the spring without poles. And it felt like snow dancing. I love the way it made my body feel. I love the way I feel when I write. I know you love the way you feel when you were playing ball and when you were creating Mind Body Green. Athletes call it the zone. 
musicians call it the groove. We call it, we recognize it as creating authentic power, as following meaning, as going where your soul wants you to go. And the choice is yours. The choice doesn't put you, the incarnation that you created with your, that your soul created with your non-physical teachers and the universe did not say, get over there and do this. It gave you potential. The frightened parts of your personality, it was, were given with compassion and grace. They are the parts that create without thought the circumstances in your life that will activate exactly what you need to heal and bring themselves to your attention in ways that are so painful that eventually you will pay attention and change them or they will bring you to your knees. Not because you're not doing it right, but because this is a, a universe of kindness and compassion and wisdom. And the final step in creating authentic power is to give your power over to another that is greater than your own. And there is no power greater than love. That's where you're going if you choose. That's where you're going if you're in, if you intend to evolve. Universal humans emerge from authentically powerful humans. And universal humanity will evolve from an authentically powerful humanity. So right now, as we're in this stage of our evolution, that this dramatic shift from five-sensory to multi-sensory perception, from power as ability to control and manipulate to power as alignment of personality with soul. Right now, while we stand with our, in both worlds, one foot in one and one in the other, offered a choice, required to make a choice in each movement, in each moment, to act with the old consciousness or the new consciousness, to change for the better or not to change. No humans have stood in this place before. None. In terms of particulars, that's always a true statement. But this is a statement that extends 300,000 years into our past and will extend indefinitely into our future. This moment of transition in which we become aware of this moment of transition, in this moment in which our evolution becomes conscious because it demands of us our choices, our experiences, and our responsibilities. All of that is coming together now as we speak, Jason and Gary, and as listeners absorb, question, ponder, are challenged, or turn away. All of that is part of the Earth School. What, how will you use that? I suggest you create authentic power. Amen. We will close there. Gary, you are a spiritual treasure. Thank you for all the incredible work you do. We love Universal Human. Everyone, please go pick it up. 